Hi, everyone. Just a reminder that this show is not legal advice, trading advice, financial advice, or personal advice. Enjoy the show, and thank you very much. This show is sponsored by the MIT Sloan School of Management's Blockchain Technologies Online Program, delivered in collaboration with Get Smarter. Yo, yo, welcome to Crypto 101, the average consumer's guide to cryptocurrency. This is Matthew Aaron. Today, we have on Rong Chun, CEO and founder of Elastos. And this is a very ambitious and detailed project. So I'm not going to waste too much time talking about it myself. I'm going to let Rong talk about it himself. Before we get into that, though, please go to Crypto101podcast.com. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram is all available for you there. Please think about becoming a Patreon. Also, go to iTunes, CastBox, SoundCloud, Pocket Cast, or anywhere you listen to your podcast. Subscribe, leave a comment, and a rating. It is very much appreciated. And don't forget that ICO 101 with Aaron Paul is popping up in the feeds. Check him out when you see the orange icon. And lastly, check out our YouTube channel, Crypto 101 with Matthew Aaron, where we give you previews and roundups to all of our episodes that we put out. Without further ado... Here is Mr. Rong Chen of Elastos. We'll see you after the show. Mr. Rong Chen, founder of Elastos, welcome to Crypto 101, sir. Thank you. Thank you very much for taking time out of your day. You're over, you're flying out tomorrow, and you're putting an hour for Crypto 101. We really appreciate that. What we want to do today is we want to get to know about you, sir. You're one of the most talked about new projects in the space right now. We want to know about your history, how you started Elastos, what was the inspiration? Of course, a 101 on the project. It is a very in-depth project. It's been your brainchild, as you just told me offline, since the year 2000. So it's been a lot of years in the making, a lot of years kicking around in your brain. And then I just want your opinion on blockchain in the crypto space. Is that okay, sir? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Excellent. So, sir, tell us a little bit about your history and your story. Well, it's a long story. Well, not, uh, not too long. My name, <laughs> yeah. my name is Rong Chen. Uh, actually, I, I was born and raised in China. I um, went to the United States in year 1984, January, so mm -hmm. which is uh, more than 34 years ago. I was uh, one of the first batch of uh, exchange students uh, uh, from China, mainland China, wow. to go to the United States for graduate studies. So uh, when I first landed in the USA, remember that was uh, 1984, uh, three things happened. 84, 85, the internet was called uh, ARPANET, and it changed its name to internet. I remember when I was at the uh, University of Illinois, we were told uh, we shouldn't call it ARPANET anymore, we should call it uh, internet. So I started to learn uh, TCP IP at that time. And another thing happened, Unix was open sourced to universities like uh, University of Illinois, Berkeley, and uh, CMU, first class computer science schools. But that's sad because at that time, people were thinking it's a modern operating system. Everyone uh, was very excited. Multi-processing and parallel computing started uh, at that time. So it's a, another drive to push the computer frontier. The third thing happened during those times I was in Bell Labs. There was a C with class, a new compiler for translate C++ into C programming language. So uh, I started to learn C++ in it is six. 
which is also very early to study object-oriented programming. So by that time, we were thinking to put three things together in one. University of Illinois invented the first so-called operating system written in C++ called uh, Choices. I learned a little bit about that. That's when uh, everything got started. After that, of course, I wanted to design my own operating system, which uh, failed after seven years, long years. Because at that time, actually, uh, people could uh, single-handedly, one or two people can write an operating system at that time. And uh, so many operating systems, uh, compilers, operating systems, uh, internet uh, uh, protocols came out around uh, the same period of time. But I tried, I failed. Nevertheless, I learned something. So I ended up uh, going to Microsoft and Microsoft Research doing kernels. And that's another eight long years in Microsoft to do kernels and object-oriented programming and network. Uh, to be specific, at Microsoft, I did the operating system kernel at Microsoft Research, and I joined Microsoft browser team as the 10th member of IE team mm. to study and to learn uh, to implement uh, browsers. And also, of course, at that time, we're, we did uh, ActiveX. And uh, later on, I was doing so-called uh, Olay and COM, a component object model. Basically, still around that three things I just mentioned. In winter of 1998 and spring of 1999, I was in a group called uh, .NET. I was there when it uh, just started the project. So we tried to design uh, a network OS called uh, .NET. We also come up with the uh, programming paradigm called, called SAS, Software as a Service. So that was that long ago. And of course, uh, since I did some kernel before, there's two schools of thoughts to do .NET. One is using C-sharp, the intermediate language competing with Java. And the other one is uh, coming from kernel background. We do it, uh, do everything in C, in native language. So, but Microsoft decided to uh, adopt the uh, C-sharp paradigm. So I quit. I started uh, Elastos in year 2000. <laughs> the dream was to design a network OS in C++. Mm -hmm. That was uh, <laughs> still a long story short. All right. So where were you born in China? Uh, I was born in Beijing a oh, okay. long time ago. <laughs> okay, okay. I was, I'm just asking because I lived in China for 13 years. Uh, okay. Six, six years, uh, my, my, the listeners know, but I lived six years in Beijing and seven years in Shanghai. And oh, I, okay. I, I studied Chinese at uh, Beijing University, and I used to uh -huh. live in uh, the Wudaokou area or Sisan Huang. neighbors. Uh, I graduated from Tsinghua University. Oh, okay. We we'll always uh, tease, with, uh, tease each other. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't, well, what, what people don't know is, people, is China calls Tsinghua University the MIT of China. It is arguably the best university in China in competition with Beijing University. Yeah, because uh, when people talk uh, in Chinese, Beijing University always go first. Uh, of course, uh, it's a rivalry, and uh, yeah, it's a fun. It's, it is definitely a rivalry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to get into Elastos in a little bit, but you said, because this is very interesting, the, the history aspect of this. China opened up in, was it 76 or 79? 78. 78, I'm sorry. 78. So 78, and then you said you were part of the first batches of Chinese exchange students over to the U.S. What was that like, coming over from China to the United States in 84? Before then, um, actually, I worked on a farm during the Cultural Revolution, and uh, all of a sudden, university resumed. So uh, I was in, lucky enough, actually, I was uh, still a, a laborer at that time in the village, took uh, the national exam and uh, got accepted to Tsinghua University. So I was uh, 
really lucky. I remember when we were taking a, a calculus class one day in 1979, and because you know classrooms are very quiet, but then a uh, a radio always turned on really loud, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, you know people kind of surprised and turn around their heads. And uh, the radio was uh, reporting that uh, China is setting up diplomatic relations with the United States. Uh, and then there was a, a loud round of uh, applause mm. uh, during the class. So that was really something. And uh, of course, uh, one year later, in 1980, uh, China started to have uh, grad students, uh, exchange graduate students to the United States. Very few because of the first class of the uh, undergrad won't graduate until 82. So I was that uh, first class I ever graduated and earned my scholarship to study in the U.S. Wow. Wow, that's amazing. That's an amazing story because I, I really don't know if people can grasp the history of China. You are a China pioneer for the most part to go to the States uh, to, <laughs> to, yeah, to get education yeah. very, there. Very lucky, very lucky for you. Because uh, at that time... Uh, Except there are few uh, that their family could sponsor themselves because it was a you know a so-called a socialist uh, system. Actually, no one can afford to study in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, the country was just so poor. Uh, so uh, their only way out uh, without uh, uh, family or sponsorships uh, it's uh, through government. So I was actually sponsored by the Chinese government at that time wow. as an exchange student. Uh, that said, actually the quota is about what. About uh, 500-ish a year mm-hmm. at that time. Uh, so I was, uh, uh, I guess, lucky enough. Right on. Consider, you know, a, a country more than a billion, right? Right. No. <laughs> there are only <laughs> like five, 500 out of a billion. Exchange students ever, you know, <laughs> that year came so, to the U.S. And, and, and just another a question about this. And how was the, you, you took, the, was it at that time, uh, uh, testing into uh, Tsinghua was it was it the Gaokao at that time as, yeah. as well? Yeah, what, what that was, was uh, the first. Uh, that was uh, the first Gaokao, the first uh, national exam after the Cultural Revolution, uh, okay. because the university stopped uh, during the uh, Cultural Revolution oh, for ten years, and uh, so uh, basically I, I, another uh, thing is uh, turned me into uh, maybe the most uh, senior class. Uh, of uh, software engineers in China, because of uh, before then there was no computer science departments, and uh, after the uh, Cultural Revolution, there's a computer science department, and I was the first class. How did you keep up with your studies? Uh, if you were a laborer on a farm in a village, to get such a high mark in the Gaokao and then get into the best universities in in China, and how did how did how was that? How, how did you maintain that study to and that drive? Uh, uh, first of all, I guess that's uh, <laughs> lucky uh, enough. Uh, but secondly, uh, when I was in uh, uh, middle school, high school, at that time, even though it's uh, during the Cultural Revolution, you know, people don't really study much. Because uh, 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 I, uh, I was one of the few uh, uh, really put my heart into uh, studies because... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, has something to do with you. If you've been to into China, right? There's uh, those uh, uh, nationalists uh, who lost mm-hmm. the civil war, mm-hmm. <laughs> and turned out uh, my grandfather was on the wrong side. I'm, I'm living in <laughs> Taiwan right now, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those, yeah, those are the unlucky guys. 
and uh, but uh, my grandparents even didn't did not was not lucky enough to even go to Taiwan. They ended up in Hong Kong. Hmm. Uh, could not uh, they escaped uh, from China and could not go to Taiwan. So that's uh, even more uh, unfortunate. But that said, um, uh, so I have to my family have to manage um, to survive, and uh, one way to survive actually is to excel. Because mm-hmm. uh, I, <laughs> uh, there's no other way for me. So I ended up, uh, I studied, uh, and I was okay. Wow, man, that's a that's an amazing story. Thank you for sharing that. Um, uh-huh. I can talk to you about this all, all day because it's very yeah. very rare that <laughs> I get, a- get get to hear somebody with a story and background of you. But people aren't turning to Crypto One Hundred One to hear about R- Chinese right. history that's- because it's just it, honestly, it's just amazing. The, your story is amazing to go from the the Cultural Revolution to Tsinghua to one of five hundred people <laughs> getting a scholarship <laughs> from the government out of billions. You know, going to the United States to working at Microsoft and then starting this company, Elastos. Could you please tell us just a little bit about how did the idea of Elastos come about and what is Elastos? Actually, the idea was very simple because um, I remember the name uh, .NET because uh, was popular once, right? Uh, 10 years ago, uh, Microsoft, uh, if, you, if you look up uh, the internet, uh, actually Microsoft still has the uh, .NET, mm. but uh, which kind of is a failure. Uh, comparing to iOS and Android. But then anyway, uh, in late 90s, we were thinking to turn the network into a computer because that's not the idea from Microsoft. That's the idea from the Java authors. In 1992, Sun Micro invented uh, Java programming language. Then the f- creators of uh, Java programming language, they came up with the term, the network is the computer. Because by... Uh, 1998, 1999, we at Microsoft actually believe it's time to design an operating system for the network computer, right? Mm-hmm. So it's logically, if network is a computer, as Sam Marco says, if it's true, then it might need an operating system, right? Because <laughs> right. a machine needs an OS. <laughs> That's very logical, well, whether you understand uh, you know, operating system or not. The basic idea actually is the operating systems we're using today are mostly so-called a device OS, not network OS. Okay. The difference is device OS meaning you know you got an iPhone, you got a operating system running on the iPhone called mm-hmm. iOS, and you have an Android phone, you know you got an Android OS running on the Android phone, mm-hmm. right? And that's that a device OS is something really take care of itself. And if applications want to go to the internet, Actually, the operating system has nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. Like if you're hijacked on your way out, if you're cheated, right? If your data got lost, who do you blame? You blame on yourself. You cannot right. blame on operating systems, right? Because right. the uh, operating system has nothing to do with which website uh, you're going into, uh, where you're going to send, uh, where the uh, developers, where the applications send their network packets. Because people should always remember there are three things happening. You know, there's a user, then there's a machine. And then there's something in between. The something in between is called a software. It's called an app. Actually, app is developed by a third party a developer, mm-hmm. uh, a team, right? Developing team, correct? correct. That's 101 enough. Right. Because uh, <laughs> the consumer has intention to do something or find information, you know, do banking, mm-hmm. playing games. That's what the consumer wants, right? And of course, they have to trust the software the developer for carry out their wish faithfully, you know, have fidelity. Mm -hmm. But then 
very often the developers won't do exactly what consumers told them to do mm-hmm. because of the developers, the applications could literally uh, give you a free software. But then how are they going to get paid? So they uh, so-called, they collect the big data with or without your acknowledgement, mm-hmm. right? They collect data, then they sell your data. Mm-hmm. That's the nice ones. You know, the more vicious ones, actually, they, they simply steal your bank information, they simply, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, do all those uh, illegal things behind your back because uh, so-called uh, children horses, those, uh, you know, heart bleed viruses, whatever, it's, it's all there. It's all the fault of, of software development. But the device OS, because as I mentioned, in the early 80s, the three things came out around the same time. The network, the OS, and the programming paradigm, they came out around the same time. It's not one after the other, because they are kind of intertwined, mixed, instead of designed in a clear, logical way. That legacy uh, lasted until today. And uh, that's why we see so much network attacks. We see uh, so many privacy leaks. Uh, we see so many uh, viruses, right? And that said, uh, consumers are helpless. So they have to resort to big brothers for protection. Mm-hmm. For example, if you use uh, WeChat, and uh, on WeChat, they have uh, public numbers. Actually, they are micro websites built within WeChat. Mm-hmm. So where if you have a URL within WeChat and you click on the URL, you get onto that website, mm-hmm. you are protected by WeChat, mm-hmm. right? By Tencent mm-hmm. as a company to guarantee actually the website is genuine. Otherwise, if you go on the internet, you may very likely to encounter some fake websites right. or being cheated, right? Everything is the same except the, the barcode charging you money. Right. It's a, it's a fake. Uh, that said, but, but, but of course, uh, uh, you know, this big brother, they uh, seek protection fees, uh, like uh, 30%, mm-hmm. or uh, <laughs> they don't let the competitions to get on. Well, you can try to put a URL of Alibaba in WeChat, right, right. to see if you're going anywhere. Yeah. Actually, not, you're not going anywhere, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I guess the same thing, you know, in iPhone, and uh, you try Android, or Android, you try iPhone, you know. Uh, it's the same thing. But then the reason why we see our cartels more and more is because of the uh, uh, the internet turned into a dangerous playground uh, nowadays. Even as early as 20 years ago, back in Microsoft, uh, we realized that's not a, a, a fixable problem. Hmm. The internet was designed decentralized because anybody with a server can connect to the internet. Right. And no IDs, no uh, everyone's free to get on to the internet. But then the good thing is, uh, in the eighties, only universities and research institutions are using the internet, and uh, because at that time everyone's uh, decent and good, good guys, right? <laughs> but uh, after nineteen ninety-five, uh, the web basically turned the internet into a consumer uh, phenomena. Mm-hmm. Everyone uses uh, the internet, of course, including the uh, the sharks, the uh, the robbery, the mm-hmm. <laughs> because of the good thing, it's a decentralized. Uh, the internet so popular, and also because of it's a bad thing of decentralized. No one is in control. That's why the consumers have to seek the protection of Big cartels. Right. Yeah, yeah. So uh, basically, the internet is not fixable. The flaws are by design, and people realize that. Uh, just there's not much we can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
20 years ago, Microsoft decided to do a so-called network OS. Actually, network OS uh, comparing to device OS has only one thing in mind, which is to uh, delegate, uh, basically to manage all network traffic applications behalf. Mm-hmm. That said, basically all the network packets, all network protocols are still the same, except one thing, on the standard and the receiver of the network packets is the network OS. No applications, no services, no IoT devices are allowed to send any network packet. That's the key to a network OS. That dream has been going on for 20 years, mm-hmm. as far as I don't know. And today, actually, the technology is so mature and so uh, ready, but just people don't pay attention anymore. That's kind of uh, sad. But then what I'm saying is that there are still people, right, really, really uh, take it to heart. And uh, if you look at the Internet or, or, or blockchain, uh, remember the um, when I, nine, uh, 2016, when I learned, oh, there's something new called a blockchain, and I studied uh, what is Bitcoin, what is uh, uh, Ethereum. Mm-hmm. Of course, uh, when I went down to the YouTube and learned about Ethereum, and I ran into a... Uh, term called world computer so because uh, we were doing network computer for 20 some years mm-hmm. and uh when i see the word world computer i was uh, kind of interested and curious so i did some study right what is a world computer what is a network computer basically uh the world computer according to ethereum is uh consists of the, all the nodes of ethereum mm-hmm. basically a ledger is a computer mm-hmm. I mean, basically, it's a decentralized, or or you call it distributed computer, right? Because you got six thousand nodes, ten thousand nodes, whatnot. Just you got that many nodes. It's just like your phone got a quad core, a hacker core. You know? Right, right. But then you know the, the, the supercomputers like Cray or other supercomputers consist of hundreds of thousands of computers, right? Right. Like Alibaba could compile or put five thousand off-the-shelf PC motherboards together and create one supercomputer super right. to deal with the uh, so-called November 11th, quad year, right. know, uh, <laughs> double 11. Yeah. Uh, basically, it's a, a, a Black Friday of, uh, of China. Yes, right? Where you, there's billions uh, of dollars of sales in minutes right, and hours. Right, right. That's the largest uh, campaign sale of sales every year uh, in the world. Uh, that said, they are using um, those uh, uh, PC boards and to, uh, to, to, to make uh, supercomputers to mm-hmm. uh, handle the workloads. But that said, Ethereum is a one computer specialized in doing uh, ledger. Mm-hmm. Basically, that's a special purpose the computer, which is not even general purpose. So um, that said, uh, I keep emphasizing that's uh, one computer. Either you call it a world computer, you call it one ledger, you know, it's just one. And uh, I started this uh, journey of uh, blockchain uh aggregate uh, the world computer with network computer, uh, putting the two in one, right? I started to think about it in May of 2016. Because even today, there are myths. People are thinking, okay, uh, blockchain is decentralized. Actually, blockchain is not decentralized. Blockchain is implemented by using a decentralized computer. Mm. But one computer logically cannot be decentralized. Mm. Logically. Right. If one ledger, one accounting book cannot be decentralized, cannot be distributed. One ledger is one ledger. Mm-hmm. It's just like you have one person, you cannot have half a person. 
Mm. You have one computer. You cannot have half a computer. You cannot mm -hmm. have zero point one computers, right? But then that's a common sense. But then if uh, you look at almost all blockchain computers, blockchain projects, and people still have that myth. And what needs to be decentralized? Decentralized has to be multi-parties, multi-players, right? On the internet, there's Facebook, there's Google, there's Apple, there's Microsoft, there's Amazon. Who is the bigger brother, mm -hmm. right? Can they trust each other? And how can they negotiate, come to their senses to be so-called decentralized hmm. in a more reasonable uh, order, right? So if they don't trust each other, can they trust the blockchain to issue IDs? Mm -hmm. Currently, if you are in the Apple ecosystem, or if you are in Facebook ecosystem, or if you're in the Android ecosystem, you know, first thing they do is they give you ID. They give you Apple ID, they give you Android ID, they give you Facebook IDs, right? But then can they agree on one set of IDs agreed upon by all the players? Hmm. So they can interchange uh, information, like uh, email, right? Because uh, you got Outlook mail, you got Gmail, you got uh, iCloud mail, you got uh, Yahoo mail. Mm -hmm. uh, yet uh, people can talk to one another, correct? But then with the social networks, they cannot. They have to use one set of IDs, which is kind of biased. Can we have a neutral set of uh, IDs agreed upon by all big players of the world, of the internet? Hmm. That's something because, as I said, internet was decentralized, which is a great thing because uh, everyone could access the internet, right? Everyone in the world can access the internet, can exchange information. But then since the bad guys are uh, doing all the viruses and attacks, people now are afraid. So they use internet less. They use the, the uh, cartels more. Mm -hmm. Can we uh, return back to the more neutral internet? So first step is, we have to have an ID for the internet. The ID could not be controlled by any country, not be controlled by any organizations, right? So as I said, we have done the so-called network OS for 20 years. Now we run into this blockchain. We use this work computer to issue IDs for the internet. There are two different things, right? One is the blockchain issuing IDs for the internet. So they're really mixing the two and uh, not to really uh, expand the capabilities of the blockchain and turn that blockchain into a computer, a general purpose computer. Blockchain is a specialized computer, mm -hmm. good for ledger, okay. but they're not good for computing. There, there's been a lot of information here. I had a couple mind blows already, but I still am confused. What is Elastos? But the, a couple mind blows I had was that um, ledger isn't decentralized. It is 100% logical. And I, every, yeah. Everybody says decentralized ledger, decentralized ledger. You can't do that. No. They're just copies of a ledger all over the place. And right. it, it, there's no such thing as a decentralized ledger. You can't have half a person. That was a mind no. blow because I never thought of that. It's so simple. It, it, it's just one ledger with more trust, mm -hmm. right? Because, uh, you know, a, a ledger is a very simple thing. Actually, Bank of America has a ledger for all the check transactions, correct? And uh, just we don't, we don't trust uh, Bank of America as much. Right. And uh, <laughs> I mean, we were sure about that. Right, 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 right. <laughs> just for the arguments. For the arguments, say. I guess. So we, we could trust the Bitcoin ledger more than Bank of America's ledger. Mm -hmm. That said, it's just the ledger we could trust more because the ledger is not controlled by any organization. 
mm-hmm. the ledger is not controlled by any government. Put it this way, right? So now people start to build a faith around uh, this trustworthy ledger, but trustworthy ledger doesn't mean it's decentralized ledger. These are two different things. Mm-hmm. One ledger can never be decentralized. One computer cannot be chopped into halves. Correct. So uh, that said, without this common sense, and we really could not move anywhere. Because we don't even have a solid foundation to argue, to reason when where are we going? Basically, we are building a uh, skyscraper out of sand. Hmm. Hmm. There's no way. So if you were to sum up Elastos in, let's say, two to three sentences, what is Elastos? Elastos, actually, I was, uh, we had a slogan saying Elastos is a, a smart web powered by blockchain which is a safer internet powered by blockchain. What, what I'm saying is we're building a new internet mm-hmm. and uh, with the ledger to manage IDs, mm-hmm. to keep track of uh, prominence mm-hmm. and uh, to issue tokens, right? And to w- create scarcity. I'm sorry, I have to wrap my mind around this because this is, honestly, this is, a, this is com- complex for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you have the, you, we're talking about this big brother and I, I really like the way that you, you took us down this journey of you have to trust WeChat, Big Brother, to stop you from the bullies. That's why people join gangs in inner cities. So they have a, a group of numbers so they don't get picked on walking to school and people steal their lunch money. Well, if you're right. part of the, the bigger group, that's not going to happen. Now you just have a big group versus a big group. But they're, of course, separated. And Microsoft or Skype or, or all these other places, Facebook, Amazon, have their own IDs. Now you're siloed into these two mm-hmm. different groups. You're saying that we should be more connected into the internet itself instead of these cartels, these big brothers with our own internet ID that offers our own protection for the internet. Is that what you're saying? Correct. And that is what Elastos is trying to do. And it's trying to take the internet back from these big brothers that control the block, that control, say, the streets. This is, this is the hood of this gang or the hood of that gang or the hood of this mafia and allow mm-hmm. everybody to walk down those streets independently. Safely. Right, and safely. Because uh, uh, people are saying, there's a lot of people talking about uh, Bitcoin being the ledger and Ethereum being the smart contract. And uh, they're talk- talking about the next generation should be dApps, the decentralized apps. That's another way to look at it. So-called uh, decentralized apps. Actually, apps are the ones the consumers use. Decentralized meaning we uh, get rid of the intermediaries, right? Mm-hmm decentralized, no big brothers. And when we start this uh, uh, conversation, I was saying, who is the big brother of today on the internet? And I believe the number one big brother, actually the number one most likely to behave evil is the software, is the application in general. That's why we need uh, dApps. Mm-hmm. As I said, um, because people are saying, uh, talking about uh, you own your own data, we make this uh, podcast, make a short video, make an ebook, mm-hmm. uh, whatever created by consumers, right? Then they will be played by media players, correct? Mm-hmm. The media player could tell you how many times it's being played and you get your fair share of your work, right? And podcast, you know, maybe it's a fair and telling you it's played a million times, but definitely there are media players not telling the truth. Yeah, true. For so-called um, secondary piracy, 
because if you sign up, because you cannot protect your own data, mm-hmm. you have your own podcast, you send through the uh, social networks. Of course, people would freely copycat uh, your work. Mm-hmm. That's called uh, first piracy. And of course, you cannot monetize your own work. What you can do, you um, resort to big brothers and saying, hey, I give it to YouTube, I give it to Facebook, I give it to Apple, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, hoping that uh, they give you a fair cut. Hmm. And some players, I'm not saying that three, but then definitely there are players not telling you the truth. For example, um, there are some movie theaters playing movies. Of course, for whatever reason, they play more times than they report. So Mm. they don't have to pay that much copyright. (laughs) Right, yeah. (laughs) That happens. I heard uh, people, uh, I I don't name names, but then I've heard stories. Right. But then who are the media players, right? Because basically, if you think about it, uh, software in general is... uh, they are all media players. Like if you have a PDF played by Acrobat, if you have a doc played mm. by Word, if you have Excel played by Excel, mm. right? Because uh, the software generates data, the consumer generates data through software. And the software actually is not really consumer. The software is developed by a third party. The third party could do something behind the consumer's back. Dude, this, this whole conversation is just a mind blow right now. Right? <laughs> you so just told me Acrobat is a media player. Excel is a media player. I have never thought of it that way. It is. Because if you think that way, and because of, as I said, the network, because the operating system does not provide any protection, Mm -hmm. the software, the application can send your personal privacy data anywhere they like. So I'm not saying the software developer could be evil, but then the viruses injected into the software could also be the evil part, right? Mm -hmm. Somehow uh, turn the application into zombies. (laughs) (laughs) What I'm saying is the biggest evil actually is the software without a network OS, without an OS protection. Basically, we can never get rid of viruses. We can never get rid of uh, the network attacks. Hmm. The second most likely evil actually is the server, right? Because the server, on the other hand, also could have virus infected, Mm -hmm. could have uh, Hey guys, TiVo here to tell you about the Eufy Video Lock, a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell all in one. That's right, three in one for triple the security. It's easy to install. All you need is a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. It gives you keyless entry, so no more fumbling your keys when you have your hands full coming back from the grocery store. No more worry about the kids losing a house key. No more worry about a guest losing the house key or forgetting the passcode on your door. And for Airbnbers, it's a no-brainer as you can change the passcode at will between renters. It has available fingerprint recognition, and it has AI self-learning chips, so the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You will have no anxiety with the battery charging. It is a rechargeable battery, and it lasts around four months, but don't worry, when it's low, it'll give you plenty of weeks' notice, and also, it always comes with a physical key as a backup. There's no monthly fee, unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee to get your backup recording. They're always recorded locally and you will always have access. Customer support for the Eufy Video Lock is 24-7, so you don't have to worry about any issues you have, and it comes with an 18-month warranty. What I love about this product is it is truly all-in-one. With the three-in-one, you don't have to go out and buy multiple parts. It's all in this package with the Eufy Video Lock. So if you're interested in learning more, go on Amazon and search Eufy Video Lock. 
That's E-U-F-Y, video lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock. Again, that's E-U-F-Y, video lock. Eufy Video Lock. Get complete control over your front door. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Intentionally or unintentionally manipulate the order, manipulate the user data. Right. Right? Happens. So the server software, again, because server software is also running on device OS, running on Linux, running on old Windows, Right. And uh, can we have them running on a more a safer environment so then, you know, the servers cannot send our packets. They cannot uh, breach the user privacy. The third evil, actually, is the carrier. Because if you think about the browser, browser, website, and HTTP, client-server mm-hmm. network, right? So the third evil is the carrier. Because the carrier, if you want to use your phone, talk to your home camera, Actually, because you don't have an IP address at home, there's always a carrier behind your back. Yeah. No, or no, most of the consumers don't know. You know, if you buy um, Apple or, or Android, maybe, you know, they, they're big enough, they're conscious about uh, uh, securities, right? Mm-hmm. But then if you buy a cheap, a generic brand, uh, they just want to sell it really cheap, and um, right. they don't. They're not very uh, security sensitive. Mm-hmm. And uh, for example, in uh, 2015, December, a lot of video cameras and uh, routers acting as uh, zombies, mm-hmm. and uh, launched DDoS attacks to uh, dyn dot dot com, mm-hmm. and uh, collapsed uh, half of the United States uh, internet. Right in <laughs> uh, that day, uh, Facebook was down, Twitter was down, huh. and uh, Half of the U.S. was down, and uh, three months later, the whole Germany internet got shut down by the same thing. Because hmm. if you see uh, how many IoT devices out there now, they can all instantly turn into zombies because of the, uh, remember, the old routers have the username admin, password admin. So uh, they just basically put viruses on your PCs, and you bring your PC home, and uh, the viruses start to acting up within your home domain and searching for 192.0.0.1 gateway and find out uh, admin admin whether they can get in log in to your router mm. if they could uh, they'll uh, inject uh, viruses into your router mm-hmm. and waiting for that uh, full moon day right right And now a word from our sponsor, MIT Sloan School of Management's Blockchain Technologies Online Program in collaboration with Get Smarter. One, two, three, four. 
The MIT Sloan Blockchain Technologies program takes place over six weeks entirely online and focuses on solving existing business problems through the use of blockchain. Participants in the program will learn how to harness blockchain to unlock business opportunities. The next presentation of the online program will take place on August 29th, and MIT is offering my listeners an exclusive $250 discount for the course. Register for the Blockchain Technologies course, and you'll be able to enter our promo code, CRYPTO101, that's C-R-Y-P-T-O-101, when making the payment. This $250 discount is limited to the August 29th presentation of the MIT Sloan Blockchain Technologies program only. Once more, you can receive an exclusive $250 discount when you sign up for the August 29th presentation of the MIT Sloan Blockchain Technologies online program using this promo code, CRYPTO101. Now, back to the show. Okay, so... I, I'm gonna try to I'm trying to get this get this back because I've had too many mind blows today. So there's three evils that you said: the software, the server, the carrier. We've talked about privacy, the idea of the network OS to protect, get the bullies off the street, the gangs off the street, get uh, the individual to be able to walk down the streets freely, safely. That's a key word. Right. What is Elastos going to do about that? If I'm the consumer, if I'm the average consumer. And you and your product is implemented properly. Everything. How do I interact with it? Basically, uh, as I said, we are building a new web. Very much, uh, if you think of a web, we need a browser, we need a website, we need uh, a HTTP, correct? Mm-hmm. The the web web. So um, actually, we're uh, Elastos. First of all, is a web. It's a new web. It's mm-hmm. called a smart web. The web that runs apps. That's why we call it a smart web. The current web is the web of information, the web of data. Because mm-hmm. if you have a URL, you click on it, you got what? You got a web page, you got a picture, you got a PDF file. So on a social network on Facebook, you, you send, you share with your friends. What, mm-hmm. do you, what are you sharing? You share uh, photos, you share messages, you share files, mm-hmm. videos, correct? Actually, you're sharing data. Mm-hmm. You're sharing information. Then... If you look at uh, Android, they're doing something called uh, instant apps. And can we share code? Can we share binaries through social networks? Can we, sh- you know, instant apps through the network? Mm-hmm. So that's why it's a web of apps instead okay. of web of information. W- why we call it smart web? That's why, uh, because it's a web running apps. When you run apps, you need a execution environment, which is a network OS to quarantine viruses. Because when you run apps, because I sent you a executable through email, and uh, most people learn their lessons not opening up, right. not clicking, right. right? Because if you click, more likely your computer would be uh, infected. Right. And uh, so in order to share apps uh, on the internet, we really have to have a more advanced uh, uh, virtual machine OS to quarantine uh, the viruses. So that's uh, on top of the web, we have to build this virtual machines. Those two things have nothing to do with blockchain. That's what what, uh, took us so long, right? For Mm -hmm. the past uh, 20 years, not only me, but also uh, Microsoft and others, right? For that many years uh, to drive uh, very hard 
to iron out all the uh, wrinkles and uh, make sure everything runs uh, smoothly. Then the third thing, actually, is the uh, the blockchain. Mm. The blockchain give us two things. One is, uh, as I said, uh, give us the IDs, give us the provenance. Because uh, if you have your podcast, you can prove you are the first author of uh, the podcast. Right. Right. That's uh, uh, easy to understand because of that uh, ledger thing. And uh, more importantly, uh, blockchain give us something else because I was mentioning the internet of uh, games, internet of apps, because that's what we've been doing for for 20 years. But uh, basically, uh, not until recently, the technology is maturing and uh, it's, uh, it's almost ready. Actually, it'll be red. Alpha version will be ready next month, mm-hmm. uh, end of next month. So it's uh, we're not that far off, oh, and uh, we'll, we'll have we we'll have a beta uh, by the end of this year. So it's a uh, half year, a uh, half a month, uh, half a year from now. Mm-hmm. Blockchain also give us something called uh, we we'll actually build a set chain, uh, um, so called tokens. Basically, it's a scarcity because uh, let's say you have that many bitcoins, you have uh, ten thousand copies of your podcast. Mm-hmm circulating on the network. Can you issue 10,000 copies of tokens encapsulated into your podcast and then make your podcast a little game? Mm. You know, first of all, turn your podcast, instead of a, a MP3, MP4, you turn it into a executable. Mm-hmm. A little uh, piece that uh, self-propelling, uh, uh, running by itself. Okay. And it's a little game just by playing itself. Can fast forward, fast rewind, and stop. Right, else, right, right. So basically, it's a very simple template, and uh, you scramble your your uh, podcast with that uh, game templates, and uh, with a public key, private key, and, and you scramble it into one. I used to call it a digital capsule, and you make uh, ten thousand copies of the digital capsules, mm-hmm. and then you inject a uh, token into every one of those, right? So you have uh, 10,000 copies of digital capsules with uh, their unique tokens. Mm-hmm. Then you pass them around, circulating uh, on the internet. And every time this uh, capsule is uh, executed, and uh, several things will happen, because uh, every time it's uh, executed, uh, it'll tell you it executed once, executed twice. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to be cheated by the media player because you are the media player yourself. Mm-hmm. Basically, you turn the podcast into a game, so you're bypassing the media player. Right. Otherwise, if you're MPEG 4, MPEG 3, MPEG 3, you have to be played by the media player. That's the middleman. And the media player is played on the OS. Right. Correct? Can we turn that uh, MPEG 3 into a game itself, bypassing the media player, so you're running inside this virtual machine OS uh, directly? In the capsule. So that we Right. That's how we get rid of this uh, uh, software or uh, media player, uh, by and large, uh, as middleman. Hmm. And of course, uh, every time this um, media player, uh, no, every time this uh, podcast being executed, then it give us uh, give the virtual machine a chance to check against the blockchain. Uh, do you still have the right to play? Let's say you paid a dollar for it, right? And after you listen to it, could you sell me for six, uh, fifty cents? Hmm. Sell me a, a used book, right? A used uh, pod, uh, podcast. And uh, if you sell it to me, you're not able to, you're not going to uh, uh, play it anymore. Right. As if you have a book, you sell me the used book. I can't read it you anymore. You don't own it anymore. Right. Right. But then you still have the bits on your machine. Right. Correct? Because that's the nature of software. Uh, 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 
computers. You sell me the your podcast podcast. You paid a dollar for, and then but you still have the bits on your machine. When you sell it to me, the token transferred to me already and scrambled into this public chain, uh, public key, private key, right? Recorded on the blockchain. Mm. And when you play your bits on your machine right. once again, right? The virtual machine will have a chance to check. So that's the foundation of this digital economy. When people saying you own your own data, people are saying we are going to create a, a new economy through blockchain technology. That new the the means for us to move right to the new economy actually is turn everything into executables mm-hmm. without other. Uh, Route to achieve this goal. So, if you look at the blockchain projects of the world, how many of them are talking about the new economy, and how many of them talking about you literally have to turn the data into code so then you can have a digital economy. Otherwise, you simply don't. I th- I think that leads us to the next question, the next logical question. Elastos, ten years in the future the new economy, how do you envision it? How do you envision that we're going to be interacting with data, with with apps, with the internet that's going to be different than today? Because um, actually I wrote an article in a Chinese magazine, a journal, that's a computer journal, um, 2011, uh, forecasted uh, uh, the new internet will be made of uh, apps instead of made of uh, data. So uh, that that'll fundamentally change uh, the way uh, the world works because of uh, if you look at it currently, if you buy a paperback book from Amazon, mm-hmm. you can sell it. Basically, you own that book. You right. own the personal property, private property of right the mm-hmm. tangible item. But then, if you buy an ebook from Amazon, can you resell it? Hmm. You, know, basically, you, you can't, can you? I don't know actually the answer. No, no, no. <laughs> basically, you leased it for life. Uh, you uh, basically, that's why there's uh, only cartels on the internet. There's no private uh, uh, digital assets. It's amazing. There's no capitalism on the internet at all. Hmm. Right? So, so all cartels and feudal systems, no capitalism. No personal properties on wow. the internet today. So, in your in your future, my ebook that I bought from wherever I bought it from is going to be in this capsule. I'm gonna I'm gonna read my ebook, exploding this capsule, opening it or whatever you want to call it. It's gonna it's gonna pop back to my uh, link to my uh, key that knows that it's been opened, it's been read, it's been bought, it's been purchased. I I then have this ebook in this in this capsule still, the, the executable, I'm going to repackage it. I'm going to sell it to Mr. Chun that's sitting in his, in his house talking to, talk to me right now because I said, hey, it's a great book. You should get it. I'm going to sell it sure. to you for 10% off. It's going to be right. a new capsule. I'm going to send it to you. Mm-hmm. What, about right. the, what about the author? Does he still get a, a piece of that? Yeah, he could have got a pay. He could have got a cut because uh, we do have a so-called a metadata. Uh, actually, because every time you resell it, it's repackaged. That's the key word. You get it. Because um, uh, 
in the old days on Windows, you know, literally can copy the software of the hard drive and copy to another PC and uh, run it, right? But on the iPhone, actually could not. If you, even if you open up an iPhone and, uh, and uh, read uh, the files of your flashcard mm-hmm. and you copy those files onto another iPhone, uh, it's not going to run. Right. Because of uh, every time you purchase something from Apple uh, App Store, it's packaged uniquely for your eyes only, for your PC only, uh, for your iPhone only. Mm-hmm. Right? Because uh, every time, because the difference between PC and uh, iPhone is iPhone invented this something called uh, App Store. Mm-hmm. So the iPhone, the consumer um, initiate the purchase action. Mm-hmm. Then you log into the App Store and, and download the app. Actually, the computer is so fast that they package your your uh, your app on the fly and uh, download it to you for you your machine only. How do you, how do you think copy? How do you think the economy is going to work in the future with this one? For example, you know, if you have a book and it's a used book, and we're using the book example because it's very easy, and it's the first thing I I think that I've totally wrapped my mind about is this little capsule. <laughs> is yeah. is that? If I sell a used book, the reason, the reason why it's a used book and the reason why it's less money is because it is used. It's worn. The pages right. are, are, are the book doesn't close properly anymore. It stays open maybe a little bit. The pages are pages are sure. fringed at the end. Yeah. So it's yeah. a cheaper price. What do you think of the no, economy? Well, if it's a used book, if it's a used paper book, I'm, I'm not going to pay the same 100% price for the for a secondhand copy. If it's a textbook from school, you know, right. it's used one semester, next semester. But with the p- capsules. Is it still going to be a depreciating asset? Because uh, because it's digital, it's virtual. There's no wear and tear. Right. First of all, you're not going to really have the uh, wrinkled uh, corners and and uh, on the other hand, also uh, if you see uh, literally the artwork, paintings, and uh, the bronzes, or if you go to the Forbidden City of uh, China to see those uh, artworks, mm-hmm. the, uh, the the emperors put their seals, right, the right seals. On the paintings, if for a famous uh, Chinese painting, you'll see hundreds of those, those uh, red ink, right? Proof uh, who owned it before, right? Right? Because saying this piece, it's not uh, the age is a really uh, a, a small uh, portion of it. Actually, it's uh, whoever owned this piece of work. Wow! Make this artwork more valuable. So, right, it, so uh, a book from Rong Chun, the the founder of Elastos, could be worth more than the book from no. Matthew Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we will talk about Kangxi Emperor or Tianlong Emperor. <laughs> you know, definitely, if you see the seal of uh, the Chinese uh, Tianlong Emperor, uh, let's see. No matter what the painting is, right? If you just see the the the, the seal is genuine, mm-hmm. that's worth at least uh, maybe a million. Right. R&B in China, that was at least a million because, right. well, with that king, famous king, right, uh, Cecile on it. Right, and, right. Uh, and from the Forbidden City, put it this way. And uh, so that is a lot. What I'm saying is uh, when we can uh, uh, circulate peer-to-peer without uh, intermediaries, actually, but then who the ownership of the author uh, put in a new kind of a smart contract, the smart contract different from the blockchain smart contract. The executables, right? They have uh, description languages, and uh, who should get what cut, and uh, that kind of uh, dictation. Who is the ex- exec- executor mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. that uh, that will, right? Right. 
Right. And uh, the executor actually is the OS opening up and uh, seeing, okay, that's what the, uh, the authors wish. Right. And then we just follow that and uh, say the author wished to have 5% of the cut for every resale. Then mm-hmm. he'll get 5% of the uh, cut. And when people buying, acquiring this piece of work, there's always a, a notice saying, hey, beware, right? Author will get 5% and so-and-so will get what? Right. And then you want to agree or you don't. <laughs> right, right. Mind blown, mind blown. Mr. Mr. Chun, do you mind if we go into some general questions about the crypto space? Sure. Hey, thank you. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. What do you, what do you think of... Actually, I'm going to skip that question. What project, if you were to pick one besides Elastos, and I, and I know that it's a big project, and there's a lot of concepts that are people are going to listen to in this episode of Crypto 101 that is going to take some time to think about and really ponder of, of what is the Internet, what is the Internet of Things, security, safety, these especially these capsules you're talking about, how, the, how everything's going to be, be apps in the future and, and not just data. What projects do you think that's going to have the most impact in the future when it comes to tech companies or companies coming out? Basically, I believe the whole internet will be turned upside down. Hmm. The uh, Almost everything, because let's say um, the internet, basically, uh, we are, we're going to release an alpha version by the end of next month. Mm-hmm. Uh, that said, Basically, that that's pretty much you can think of a browser without HTTP. Mm-hmm. You have a browser, and uh, and basically it's a Chrome browser, and uh, we add a wallet into it. Uh, we add a uh, uh, peer-to-peer network uh, uh, protocol into it. We add a uh, so-called uh, runtime into it, and we just basically add a uh, quite a few of those uh, decentralized uh, peer-to-peer uh, protocols, software stacks into the browser. But uh, and we yank out a very critical one. We take out the network access mm. from the app, right? So basically, uh, if we're going into not really 101, it's a, gra- a graduate level 101. It's just basically you have only 127.0.0.1 to access. You only have local host to access for the browser, nowhere else. Basically, you do a local host slash a hash, then you're going anywhere from there. Mm, okay. You basically, you know, just depends on the hash. You could go uh, across the continent. You can go download an ebook. You can play a movie. It's all localhost slash a hash. As simple as that, right? You, you pretty much you get everything. And that's that as Kervin saying, you're not going to have uh, direct access to the internet. So then the applications within this digital capsule you cannot steal uh, consumers' uh, privacy data because even if you steal it, you have nowhere to send it. Hmm. Where are you going to send it? Right. Because the user, remember, there's a consumer dictates the uh, the hash. I'm going to access this website. I'm going uh, to my home camera, right? So that's what the hash is. Of course, we won't let the uh, the applications to redirect, to duplicate the packets and send one copy to your home, send another copy to their uh, cloud server. Right. That's that's not going to happen, right? Because they don't have this uh, uh, freedom. They don't have this uh, channel to do that. And that's very, very key to this uh, smart web. And uh, 
that's why we need this uh, virtual machine to be um, one uh, key component. The other one is the so-called uh, new internet. We call it uh, decentralized carrier. Mm-hmm. You can think of it's uh, AT&T Verizon, but then without AT&T because it's uh, autonomous running, uh, uh, bootstrapped from blockchain, the IDs of all the phone numbers issued by the blockchain. So no companies behind this uh, uh, carrier. It's running a autonomous, uh, uh, automatically, right? And uh, of course, the third one would have the side chains to um, to keep track of the uh, uh, scarcity, like uh, 10,000 copies of uh, digital capsules, and uh, or a website uh, uh, controlled by a smart contract, controlled by a small group of uh, uh, nodes uh, based on consensus. Mm-hmm. So th- that's the new internet we're talking about. So we're hoping to have this new browser um, next month. And uh, we have this new so-called uh, macro websites. So the websites are out of your homes. Like uh, you have a router, put a, uh, a NAS, put a PC behind your router and uh, install our software. And uh, you can access from your phone to the website and so, uh, without a carrier. So next month, they'll be able to try out the browser and download it from Elastos.org. Is yeah. that correct? Perfect. Yeah, but the end of the next month. Then the next month. Way. We're looking forward to it. We're looking forward to it. I have one last question for this conversation. But before I ask this last question, I want to mm-hmm. say, Mr. Chun, thank you very much for not only the history lesson, the educational eye-opening lesson on the Internet, the future of the Internet, your project, and, well, taking so far an hour and 10 minutes out of your day to talk to me sitting in Taiwan. I appreciate that. Thank you. Your, thank you for the time because uh, also I uh, appreciate uh, all the help so we can get because we uh, definitely need the publicity because this project uh, has been going on for a long time, especially for the last year. But uh, since most of the engineers are based in China right now, we are looking forward to moving the project to the world. So having more people to uh, know what we're, what's going on and uh, realize uh, a new tidal wave is coming. So we welcome everyone to join us. And we also uh, set up a website called uh, cyberrepublic.org. And uh, we set up bounty programs and uh, okay. if people could contribute their own ideas. Say if you want to build a ebook engine, they want to build a uh, some marketing engine or whatever, so they can propose and re- rec- seeking rewards and join it. Right on. Well, I, I think they probably will after listening to this, and I hope that you, the great success in the future, and that people do start paying a lot of attention to this project that you've been working on for almost two decades, sir. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the last question I want to ask you is, Crypto 101 is, is positioned itself to be probably the first stop for a lot of people getting into the crypto space. When the Bitcoin price goes up, people start flocking in. They want to start buying and paying attention and learning about blockchain, the ecosystem, and what's happening here. What advice would you give that person just getting into the space right now? I want to emphasize the key word, common sense. Mm. Because as I said, uh, a ledger is not decentralized. That's common sense. Oh, I don't know if that's kind of common sense. (laughs) Uh, Oh, no, one ledger, right? One ledger we can trust. One ledger we can trust. Blockchain is building one ledger. Mm-hmm. World computer is one computer. Mm-hmm. And uh, one computer cannot be decentralized. That said, 
and so many projects bragging about TPS, transaction per second. Mm -hmm. What is a transaction per second? You know, 10 years ago, people uh, assembled their PCs. I don't know if people still do. They, they, they will get asked how many CPUs are um, on this motherboard, right. right? How much memory does it have? Oh, what is the capacity of the hard drive? Remember those days, you know? Oh, my CPU is two gigahertz, yeah. yours is 1.3, <laughs> you know, heck, mine is better than yours. You know, I got quad core, you got single core, yeah, yeah, yeah. blah, blah, right? But then, you know, speed, does speed make a difference? Yes, it does. But to what extent? Hmm. I mean, if we're envisioning a future, speed is nothing to do with the future, hmm. right? Because people never ask about what's the speed of the internet. What is the speed of the operating system? What is the speed of your game? And if people brag about TPS, they're really literally barking on the wrong tree. Because no matter how fast is your computer, I mean, of course, as I said, a supercomputer cray, you know, faster than yours, I mean, to some degree, it's a good thing to do scientific calculations. Right. But can I put it in my pocket? Right? One computer definitely is not going to solve all problems. Mm-hmm. One computer can never solve all com computer problems. That's common sense. And also, the speed of that computer in the history of computer science, that's literally irrelevant. When we talk about the future, right? Then basically, I, when I see blockchain projects talking about TPS, that's so pathetic. <laughs> Well, actually, now now that we went down this road, and I want to say that you're very passionate about what you just said here when they're talking about TPS, I'm a sucker for it. I will say that I have looked at companies. Well, okay, how, let, me, let me rephrase this. There's a lot of companies coming out right now that are trying to solve Ethereum's scalability problem. And we've saw that you know transactions per second is a is an issue when you're talking about sending things through the Ethereum network. CryptoKitties was a big choke on the network. So people are said, you know what? We have to solve that problem. And they come out and they say TPS, TPS, TPS. Why is that not, why is that irrelevant? Because as I said, basically when you run apps, you're running it on the iPhone, you're running on the Android phone, you're running on the internet. You're not running the app on the blockchain. The blockchain actually is centralized. Let's say CryptoKitty. CryptoKitty, mm -hmm. right? They have a, a, a cloud server somewhere from their company. Mm -hmm. And then they have so-called a trustworthy ledger based on blockchain, Ethereum. Basically, that's a trustworthy ledger with the centralized the cloud server on your browser. Basically, got three things. They are not really decentralized. What if the cloud server crashed? Are mm -hmm. you still able to run this CryptoKitty, right? You cannot. If the server crashed, you, you don't have a kitty anymore. <laughs> so basically, when everyone is using blockchain, the Ethereum blockchain, that's logically a centralized ledger with more trust. That's a star architecture, right? All the browsers going into that the ledger. Mm -hmm. Is that logical? And that's why people have to use common sense, have to go back to computer 101 instead of blockchain 101. That's what they need. Follow up to that question, where would you tell, recommend somebody to go to Computer 101? Is there any resources that you recommend for somebody to say, Mr. Chun, you have a great point. I need to know this. Where would they go? Well, let's see. There's a Morse law. There's an Amdahl's law, right? A grad school 101. 
basically uh, Moore's law saying, you know, um, you know, if uh, you have too much work, you offload it to others. You do parallel. So you basically together you produce more, mm -hmm. more, you know, more efficient computation. The other one actually is uh, blockchain. We don't trust each other. Then we keep a letter, uh, we, we keep a copy in uh, each one of us. Does that gain speed? Mm -mm. That gain trust, reduce the speed. Mm -hmm. The other one is gaining speed, right? To, uh, to work collectively. So they're completely two different things. And trying to make the blockchain more efficient. And then say, if you increase the uh, number of transactions per second, are you going to keep that mark garbage forever? Because, uh, <laughs> because the Bitcoin, right, the ledger, the, the prominence, the notary public of the internet, you know, every 10 minutes, you generate uh, one megabyte of, of, of ledger, right? And 10 years later, you generate about uh, 200 gigabytes of those because every 10 minutes, it's a one megabyte and you can do the calculation. Mm. But then... The thing is, if you are 10 times faster, you got 10 times more junk. Right, yeah. And you put movie and pod, podcast into it. Are you kidding me? <laughs> True. Very good point. Right? So those are really, really uh, computer 101. I think you know, without those consensus, the blockchains are not going anywhere hmm. because they're wasting their time. We've learned a lot today, and we're going to go to Computer 101. We're going to go to Blockchain 101, Crypto 101. And I think that you brought up a couple of really good points, and you've made me rethink what I am doing with Crypto 101 as well. And I think that we do have to go to probably Computer 101 and have to start looking for guests to start giving those lessons as well because we do need to know more about how we access the Internet, how we access the apps, and how we, well, Computer 101, just like you just said. Sir, thank you very much for your time oh, today you. and i think it's probably around nine o'clock at your time over there and i hope that you have a great evening you have a glass of wine you watch something nice and you have some time before your long flight tomorrow so we'll be on the same time zone tomorrow yes okay exactly exactly sir thank you very much for your time All right. and we yeah. will we'll talk fun. to you soon Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Crypto 101. In our next episode, we have on Lee Jun, CEO and founder of Ontology. And he's going to tell you all about that project. In the meantime, go to YouTube, Crypto 101 with Matthew Aaron, to hear the roundup from this episode. And as always, ApogeeCrypto.com, that's A-P-O-G-E-E Crypto.com, the best place for your real-time prices, CryptoNews.com for your news, and WP on the fly if you need a website. We'll see you in the next episode of Crypto 101. Apologize for this long one. Hope you made it to the end. Thank you very much.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. 